Well, anything that has happened a couple of years ago always seems uh, like it happened in a simpler time. Things that we did or experienced when we were younger just doesn't seem as complicated as uh, life is today. Uh, don't you wish you could take the, the simple uh, joy of any day as the children did uh, this morning? That certainly looks like a, a simpler time for them. I remember uh, as a child growing up when we got two cars, when we got a second extension for the phone in our house, in those days, uh, before all of those, that, that just seems um, simpler. If you're in college, high school seems simpler than what you're doing now. If you're a graduating senior, being a freshman looks a lot simpler than trying to figure out the, the final logistics of choosing and moving and those things. So when we look at Scripture and when we read a story out of the Bible, it always seems like, well, that was really a simpler time. They had it so much easier because they didn't have all these complex features of life getting in the way. They could just do what Jesus says. Or, you know, if Jesus says, drop your nets and follow me, well, that was easier for them. Well, I would say, not really. Um, Leave all and follow Christ, all is all. And uh, you leave it all, you've left behind and you're leaving behind family. Uh, It may have been a simpler time in terms of technology and things like that, but it it was not a naive time. It was not a time that people uh, were just fooled by everything may have been pre-scientific, but they understood much about life. They could observe the weather and see uh, how weather patterns were shifting. If someone, uh, if a baby was born, they could count back nine months and calculate the circumstances of uh, births, whether or not people wanted to be tacky about it. And they understood death. They understood death, I believe, much better than we do. Very thankful for those who provide uh, services to us when we've had our own loved one passed away. But in these days, uh, they took care of their own. There was no one to call. They had to handle the body. They had to do the preparation and typically place the body in the tomb themselves. And so when the women on that first Easter Sunday are headed to the tomb, they have a very clear understanding of what it means for Jesus to be dead. And all of the Gospels drive home the point, he was dead. They went more expecting to conclude the last rites than they did to participate in the first Easter. They understood what they were getting into, and they only expected to find Jesus dead. So when they arrive at the tomb, they get their first shock, their first of many. They thought their biggest task of the day would be to roll away the stone, but the stone has been rolled away. Well, what does this mean? 
Well, the first person they encounter in Mark, it just says a young man. The other gospels talk about angels. We can assume that's who he was, but Mark just says there was a young man there. And he begins to tell them, who do you seek? Jesus sees not here. Come look where they, where they laid him. And go tell Peter and the others that he has gone on before them. And in Galilee, they will see him. That was a big shock. And then, as they finally leave, trying to take it all in, Mark says they left in fear and bewilderment, and they said nothing to anyone. Not a word. Last week in the Palm Sunday sermon, I mentioned how in Mark's gospel, as he, as he tells the story of Jesus' life, there are many encounters where Jesus runs into People and circumstances where someone says, I know who you are, Jesus, or you are the Christ. And every circumstance in Mark's gospel, when that happens, Jesus rebukes them and tells them to be quiet. Tell no one. Until he dies on the cross and the centurion says, surely this man was the son of God. And of course, Jesus can't, but no one says, be silent. And most students of the Bible believe it is because until Jesus was revealed as the crucified son, he was not willing to allow anyone to use the title son of God, Messiah, Christ, whatever for him. And so now we come to a place for the first time in the gospel, people are told to go tell and they don't tell anybody. They don't breathe a word. Mark's grammar is a little rough. A good translation would probably be, and they told nothing to nobody. He uses a double negative to make sure that you understand they didn't see a word because they were terrified. We think about the hymn Amazing Grace a lot. I think maybe one for this circumstance might be amazing terror if somebody could write it. Because who would have ever thought that the message of Christ being raised from the dead would instill terror in the hearts of people? It's a little bit like watching a uh, scary movie, maybe for the 20th time. The first time and maybe even the second time, you know when the chainsaw is going to come out or whatever it is that's going to scare everybody to death, and it ceases to uh, maintain its impact. Oh yeah, here he comes. Watch out, it's going to come out. He's going to come. And we're not, we're not startled by it anymore because we've seen it too many times. And I think maybe we have heard the message of Easter so many times that the real shock of it, the impact of it, the reason why these women were terrified is lost on us. It's lost on us. We, we have come to believe that long-term planning, and uh, I, I, let me just say, I love my financial planner, but when a financial planner says your long-term goals are retirement and college, not according to the gospel. According to the gospel, 
Long-term planning is eternal planning. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, all of a sudden, women, people who have read the scriptures ever since they were first written down, have to come face to face with the fact that this life is not all we have. It is not all we are preparing for and that there are eternal consequences to everything that we do. And where have our priorities been? What is it that we have been focused on? And Jesus has now been vindicated. I think that's a large part of Jesus being raised from the dead. Not just to defeat death, yes, but also to vindicate everything that Jesus has been teaching people. And so if we now have to listen to the words of Jesus as if they carry impact for us in our daily lives, we recognize that the way we treat the poor, the way we treat strangers and those who are homeless and foodless and those who are imprisoned, the way we treat those people is the way we treat Jesus. That's what he says. And now, having been vindicated by the resurrection and the truth of all the things that he's been, been teaching, all of a sudden we have to stop and take a hold and take stock and realize, what am I living my life for? Am I living my life for the eternal weight of glory or am I leading my life for tomorrow and next week? Leslie Weatherhead was a, is a long deceased, but a favorite preacher of mine to read. He was uh, actively preaching in Great Britain during World War II. And Weatherhead once made the observation as an analogy. He said, if I found out that heaven was going to be a great orchestra, I believe I'd start to learn music so that my life would be already on the way to being in tune with and appreciative of what everlasting life will be like. Why should I wait till then when I can begin now? And I believe that if we could get inside the hearts of the women who are so terrified, and if we would recognize the implications for ourselves... The implications of Jesus being raised from the dead and for all people to know it is that this is the way we are supposed to be living. And we're not merely waiting for uh, one day when we are all uh, welcomed into glory. We are beginning to live glory now. Everlasting life begins in the moment when we recognize who Jesus is and what God has done for Jesus and that sin and death have been defeated and that Christ has demonstrated how we should live and all the things that we think would be true in heaven, that everybody serves God and that everybody loves each other and that it's made possible by things like forgiveness. If all these things are true, then why don't we begin to live them now? And when I stop and take stock of my own life and I realize how 
far short I come in that regard. It, it fills me with a little bit of fear. A little bit of fear that I have some work to do to begin to align my life with what everlasting life is. If we go back to the very first words of the Gospel of Mark, Mark just begins. He just jumps down in it and begins. The beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The beginning of the good news. Easter comes as a shock. Easter comes, and perhaps if we understand it fully, there is just a little bit of apprehension, if not fear, to recognize that my life needs to be changed. But the good news is this. It is possible. Jesus Christ has come. And death is not the final word. The reason we can live toward eternity at at all is because of what God has done in Christ. Not only for that day, but even for now. Wouldn't it be great to begin to live towards heaven now? To live according to the same principles that will be true in heaven now? To treat each other the way we will all be treated when we get to heaven now? That is good news. And this is what is made possible by Easter. Shall we pray? Almighty God, we thank you that you did raise Christ from the dead and that you have made it possible for us to have everlasting life and you have made it possible for us to have abundant life. We pray that we would live towards these now and we pray that the the power of Christ or the power, your power that raised Christ from the dead would raise us to new levels of our faithfulness in following him. We ask it in his name. Amen.